We're in Romans chapter number 12, and I want to watch your time this evening. I mean that real quickly. We've got a, a, a special event for our widow ladies and widowers tonight after the service. We're looking forward to being with them for a few moments. We've been studying the book of Romans. Romans is divided in several different uh, sections. Chapters 1 through 3, it talks about our sin. The religious sinners, rank sinners, and all are sinners. And then chapters 4 and 5 talk about salvation. Chapters 6, 7, and 8 talk about the sanctification process, how to deal with sin, how to deal with the flesh, how to overcome and live the victorious Christian life with the spirit-filledness of, of uh, chapter 8, and that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Chapters 9, 10, 11 are very specific to the nation of Israel, and I think it speaks of the sovereignty and the providential plan of God for the ages, including Israel. Israel rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. He still loves them. It talks about Paul and Paul's prayer, his burden, that his people would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, of course, we have uh, in Romans chapter 10, the great classic verse, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then, of course, how shall they hear without a preacher? And, and getting the gospel out. And faith cometh by hearing, hear by the word of God. Then chapter number 12 through chapter 15 is primarily service. So sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty of God in, in, in relation to salvation and Israel, and then uh, serving. And then, of course, the last one would be a, maybe a salutation to talk to different people in regards to that. In chapter 12, it starts off with presenting your body a living sacrifice, yielding yourself to the Lord. And evaluating what's that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that is something that everybody has to do personally. It talks about a relationship, first of all, with God. Verse number three, it talks about a relationship with herself. Would you look at verse three and read it out loud with me, everyone together? Romans 12, verse number three. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man of the measure of faith. So verses 1 and 2 talk about relationship with God. Verse 3 talks about relationship with myself and understanding. I'm not supposed to think more highly of myself than I ought to think. But to think soberly, okay, what has God put me on the planet to do? What does he want me to do? And how am I supposed to work with my brothers and sisters in Christ? And then he talks about the local church. And there he gives seven different gifts that, I, that, are, that God puts in the body. It's him. It's, these are gifts. Someone told me today, oh, pastor, nice suit. Well, it's a gift. Uh, this suit is a product of what my wife and the Chicagoland teens put together and bought this for me. About to, It's why it's so flashy, because teens are cool, right? Uh, they bought this for me about six, seven years ago, and I've been wearing I like the suit, but, but the truth of the matter, I couldn't say, well, thank you very much, I made it myself. You know, no, I didn't, I didn't make it. I actually, I just received it and put it on. So when you compliment the suit, you'd have to say, I didn't buy it. Someone else gave it to me. When you're good at something and God uses you in your gift and someone says, oh, you're really good, I say, thank you very much. It's my Elvis impression, you know. No, you don't say thank you. You, you. you say praise the Lord. This is what God made me to do. And so God has made each of us, and he, he speaks of us, our relation to God, our relation to ourselves, our relation to the local church. Uh, at the end of the chapter, we'll talk about our relations with enemies, people who have issues with us and are adversarial to our, our life and our ministry. 
Then chapters 13, our relation to the government. Chapters 14 and 15, our relation to uh, our brothers and sisters uh, uh, across the spectrum of, 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 of things, sometimes weaker Christians or people who go through difficult times. It tells us about that. But here he's talking about those, those seven gifts. And I, I really, um, I believe they're important to understand. I don't think you should go to see them. I don't know what I mean by that. You don't have to spend hours and hours trying to figure out what your gift is. Here's what my suggestion is. Um, go do something. Don't just sit on a, uh, not on a log and say, I hope I get to find out my gift. You'll never find it. Just go do something for the Lord that God leads you to do. Trust the Lord for what it is. Think through what, is, what are things going on and how does God wired me. And then use your gifts. It's, not, it's, it's silly to have a gift and not sing soberly about how God wants you to use it. Well, there are seven gifts we've talked about, and I can't take time to review all of them in detail. But the first gift is a gift of prophecy. A prophet is someone, in my opinion, who is um, who's passionate about the truth. They're, they're very passionate about the truth. They're great soul winners and usually after it uh, to, to keep things right. They point out problems in the church and that kind of thing. And if you have that gift of prophecy, every church needs them. I don't think there are a whole bunch of them. I think most people don't have this gift, but the ones that do are very important. They're a lonely gift, important gift. And they usually are very good identifying and exposing sinful or questionable things, and we need them. And so that's a prophet. Then the next main gift is the gift of ministry. I would think that probably most of us, if we got all of us together and said, what is your strongest suit? Most of us, the largest group in this room and in the local church would be ministers. And I think that's where I would fall, quite frankly. I would want to be, I, I want to do something. I want to help somebody. I want to, I, I don't mind doing things. There's someone who is finding practical ways to meet needs. The next one is the teacher. And the teacher is somebody who uh, identifies, simplifies truth, and puts the things out there for God's people. They're usually good at writing. They're very specific, and they want to validate. Uh, they want to validate, and they want to document truth. Usually, a, a, a teacher is someone who can put it in print. Not always, but that's the case. Now, each of these gifts have a an admonition that God gives. For the prophet, he said, look, I want you to let your love be without dissimulation. Don't get in a bunch of arguments. That's dissimulation, argumentative mentality. Sometimes prophets like to argue with people. He said, he said don't let your love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, but cleave to that which is good. He beckons the prophet to be balanced. Hate the evil, but love the good. And to the, to the ministry, he said, be kindly affectionate one to another, and honor preferring one another. To the teacher, he says, I want you to make sure that you're fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, that you're not slothful in business, that you don't get to the place where you're just sitting around with your books and typing and analyzing things at the expense of being faithful, involved in the work of the Lord, and keep your fervency about you. Then the next gift is that of exhortation. And exhorters are normally very good at teach. There are a lot of teachers. There are people who like to help people reach their potential. People who are good at discipling are usually gifted to exhort. They like to help people solve problems, how to encourage them in that way. And boy, the church needs exhorters. These are folks that are very important. He says, if you exhort people, you're going to have to be patient through tribulation. You're going to have to have, uh, you're going to have, to have hope that, that what you're working with, God's going to bring it to, to patient 
and, and patient tribulation. You're going to have to have hope, rejoice in hope, and then continue an instant in prayer. You've got to pray your way through working with people. How many would say, Pastor, when I've been discipling people, that's what I need. I need to rejoice in hope. I need to be patient through the problems, and I need to be continuing instant in prayer. But that's the admonition to the exhorter. The next one is the, is the gift of the giver. And the givers are looking to make a wise investment. Givers in the church, I don't know who they are. I have met many of them through the years. But they see most everything through financial means. Okay, that, that's the giver. He says, look, if you're a giver, give with simplicity. Don't make a lot of fanfare about it. Give simplicity. And he says, remember to use your hospitality, distribute to those who have need. Be looking for needs. That's what God tells a giver to make. Usually a giver oftentimes is very frugal themselves. They're oftentimes very diligent. They're also very, they're, they're very critical. They want to make sure that whatever they make an investment in, it's not just, they don't just throw money around. They're evaluating what is a good investment. And that's a wonderful thing. And God is gifted, sweet people. And God always gives givers something to give. He always gives givers something. I've noticed this in my short time of being a pastor with people, that God gives people who give something to give. It's crazy. God gives them things to give. It's just the way it works. Then the next one was that of a ruler or an organizer. This is someone who gets the job done, and he's able to pull together people. And usually a ruler has someone that helps them in regards to that. And the Bible says that if you're a ruler... Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. He said, don't get fired up with people. Anytime you're a leader and you pop your head above the crowd, you're going to take some pot shots. Anyone who's organizing uh, is going to occasionally get someone who's going to put uh, sand in their, in their gears and slow down the process. You don't get mad at people. You don't want to pick uh, projects over people. Learn, learn how to work with people whenever you're trying to get a job done for the Lord. That's the admonition that God gives. The last one we talk about tonight is the one on mercy. Let's look at it. If we can, please, we're looking at number eight. He that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Verse number eight of chapter 12. He that ruleth, how? With diligence, work hard along with the people. And he that showeth mercy, let him uh, do it with cheerfulness and do it gladly. And then, of course, with mercy, verse number 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. They desire to lessen the hurt of hurting people. Uh, mercy givers. Let me give you just a few thoughts about the mercy giver. Number one, they're deeply loyal to their friends. People who are given to mercy are deeply loyal to their friends. They really cherish them. Also, they normally need deep, abiding relationships. They need to know they're in with the person they're working with. That's not wrong. These are just tendencies that they have. Um, they have great empathy to hurting people. If someone's hurting in the hospital, they want to try to do something. What can we do? How can I be with them? It's, it's a God-given thing. And uh, I would find also they or oftentimes attract those who are in distress. Um, a person who's given to mercy is someone who really, they find people. I, I have had sweet friends who have given me to mercy, and they're the ones who call me 1130 at night. I say, Pastor, I'm down here at 7-Eleven. This precious person needs some help. 
you know, can you get them in the rescue mission? They'll, they'll find situations where just, just people that have hurts, they are attracted to them. And by the way, that's, that's their gift. The prophet would have knocked them in the head and moved on. <laughs> He'd say, I hope you enjoy the night, the night under the stars, buddy. We're going to go home. We're going to get the milk and eggs and go home. The mercy giver can't do that. Mercy giver has a, has a heart for the hurting person. And they love them. The mercy giver wants to reduce any hurt or pain that someone has. They empathize with people. They're not always that interesting to me that the two men who for many years oversaw Reformers Unanimous, which was a, a drug addiction program that our, our church still uses on Friday night, was Paul Kingsbury and Ben Burks. Both of them are dear friends of mine. I love them very much. But uh, Paul Kingsbury has had like six cars stolen. He's had his house broken multiple times. But you talk about helping hurting people. I mean, he cries at the drop of a hat. Ben Burks, if I had him come preach here, and he's preached here before, he, <laughs> he's just crying all the time. Everything gets a hold of him. You know why? Because to oversee a ministry of hurting people and lead hundreds and thousands of other people do, what do they need to have? Mercy. Mercy, oftentimes, mercy givers are oftentimes attracted to prophets. Have you ever met someone who's just like black and white? Yeah, you know, they always chopping everybody's heads off and they, they, they're just very strong. What's their wife like? Usually she's not that mean. She's like so precious. You, you almost hate the guy, but you bless his wife. Oh, just got to be good to him because of his wife. She's so nice. Every once in a while you'll find a lady who's a prophet. And they're married to someone who's just so gracious and so kind. It's kind of puts together on that situation. A couple things that if, you are, if you're a mercy giver, the Bible says rejoice with those who do rejoice and weep with those who weep. I think he's talking about balance. Learning not just to be the crybaby all the time, but also rejoice with those who do rejoice. Find the balance in the two. A couple things that can be a challenge to the mercy giver, I'll give it to you quickly. And that is, oftentimes they take up offenses of other people quickly. Someone who, like, gets offended, they will jump on that wagon and draw a line and, and got as many people on that line as they can get. Because, man, you hurt my friend, I'll tell you what, we're, we're loyal. And they'll take on offenses and, and they'll get involved in a, in a shenanigans that really just cause more complications than help. It's a mercy giver response. Sometimes they tolerate evil. They're not firm. I remember years ago seeing a pastor who became a pastor, and he, he was a good, good person. But really, he just, he, he really could not, you want to be gracious with people, but he couldn't draw a line. He couldn't be firm. And in a short order, the church was just getting out of control, losing all standards, losing all things, because anything that was against that would hurt people, he wouldn't do it. Anything that might offend someone, he just like, ah, oh, let it go, let it go, let it go. Now, the prophet just thinks that's just the most horrible thing. But the mercy giver sometimes has a hard time being firm. A mercy giver sometimes will, will tolerate evil. Um, they will lead by emotions rather than reason and biblical truth. They'll just say, I know what the Bible says, but my heart, it just, I just don't know. I don't want them to be able to have a hard time. That's an ad. That's that's and then another thing, too, they'll cut off anyone who's insensitive. They're just like, you know what, if that's how you feel, then I don't have anything to do with you because th that's the case. 
But these are things that God gave us. And, and so I, with this in mind, look at verse 16. Let's, let's make this uh, application and we'll be done tonight. Verse 16, read it with me. This is, this is kind of like a culmination of all that has been said. If whatever your gift is, here's what God wants. Verse 16, ready? Be of the same mind. Mind not. Okay. Really, whenever you learn your strengths and you look at other people's strengths, and you realize we're not like each other, wouldn't it be terrible if all your whole body was a nose? That would be an ugly body, wouldn't it? If, you, if all you were was an ear or just a foot. No, no, God put the whole body together. It has different functions. And so when you understand your strengths and the strengths of others, number one, you can, you can say, you know, how can I fit? What do I am supposed to do? I appreciate the fact that that person, they used to aggravate me. Now they don't aggravate me. Now I understand they're looking through the world through their strengths. Now I can appreciate them, and I can associate along with them. I'll give you a couple of illustrations. It's nothing new to, nothing original with me. But let's just imagine, if we could please, there's a lady, and we're having a potluck, and she is carrying desserts, and, and she's walking across the floor, and she drops the dessert on the floor. Pl- plates are crashing. Desserts all over the place. She's standing there. Let's imagine... What would the prophet come and do? I told you you should have held both hands whenever you had that. I saw it when you walked across the first time. I told you, and you didn't listen. You got to keep it. You got to keep it there. What would the ruler do? The ruler would probably say, "I tell you what. Uh, hey, why don't you get the mop and you get the broom and you get the rag? Let's get this thing together here." I think, and people will be saying, "What would the servant doing?" What can I do? What can I do? And the ruler would say, hey, go do this. And go, oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. They would say, what can we do? What can, how can I practically fix this, thing, this situation? The exhorter would come along and say, let me tell you, next time when you do this, this is going to be helpful to you. We're going to work on this so this doesn't happen again. It's pretty embarrassing. I mean, all this lost dessert, we can't have this happen. So we're going to work with this. After this is all over, I'm going to spend a little time with you. We're going to get to figure this all out. What does the giver do? The giver, giver goes to the pastor and says, how much do a couple plates cost here? They kind of cost a little bit of money here, and if there's any, any damage done, you know, if we got, I, I'll take care of that. Don't worry about that. How much is it, you think? They're looking at it through financial things. What's the mercy giver doing? I'm just so sorry. I, it happened to me sometimes, and I just, I know it just, it's so embarrassing, and I, I've been through it. I just tell you, I love you. You're just so wonderful. You know, God puts it all together. You know, when you, when you have someone who is sick in the hospital, you know, you've you got people come visit. A prophet comes and visits and says, you know, tell you what, uh, is God dealing with you about a sin or something you got going on, buddy? You got anything secret you need to talk to the Lord about, brother, because you want to get this thing right? Sometimes people are sick because they do something wrong. What's the, what's the servant do? He said, look, hey, Sorry, you're in a hospital. I took care of mowing your grass, and I fed your dog, and I picked up some things there, said hi to your neighbor, and they said I'd tell you hello too. The teacher probably said, look, I've been doing some analysis on your illness here, and I think if a fellow, if you, I looked up on YouTube, and I showed this right here, and have you considered, is this what, what the doctor say? 
I'll go check. Is he got a good? Is he got a good rating? What's, where's, what's his name again? You know, and they're writing his name. And they're doing some investigation. Everybody has a different thing. The givers, like, hey, you got insurance, buddy? Got the copay? How much is copay? You don't have to pay that. Hmm. Okay. They're going to think about that. Everybody's working through things. Hey, the ruler, hey, look, I, I took care of all the stuff at work. Don't worry, I, got, I assigned several people to get your job done. Don't worry about that. We got another guy who's going to usher on your t- in your door, and everything's going to be fine there. Everybody's doing to minister to the body what it needs. God wired it. See, he said, look, so be kindly affectionate one to another. Be of the same mind. Minister, don't think more highly than you ought to think, but use your gifts for the glory of God. If you have a gift from the Lord, why don't you say, God, please help me to utilize what I'm strong. Now, here's my thought, and I've said this several times. We ought to thrive in at least one of those things. And we ought to strive for all of them. If you say, I'm a prophet, I don't care about anybody. No, you're wrong. You need mercy. You need to say, Lord, I'm not, that's not my strong suit, but I'm not going to put that... Well, I'll tell you what, I'm glad there's givers in the church because I'm not giving anything to that building. It's just not my gift. No, you need to give too. Everybody has, I think sometimes with my situation, I have a lot of, a lot of administration to do and, and I don't like it. It's not my favorite thing to do, but I still can't say, oh, I'm a servant, so I just don't administrate anything. That would be a real disaster. I would really fail and even more miserably than I am now if I didn't try to do those things. God's made us. He loves you. He's made you. He's gifted you. Get unwrapped and let God use your gifts. Let's pray together, can we?